Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Dr. Ron Messier, Professor Emeritus of History, has written many nonfiction books, but now he is diving into fiction. The Mapmaker and the Pope is Messier's first novel, and true to its author's area of expertise, it is awash in both the color and the culture of the Middle East. A young man named Hakim leaves home to study with great scholars and ends up traversing the region, getting entangled in adventures along the way. We'll share the trip with Ron Messier after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU and Rutherford County Schools have updated a 2006 agreement about the Homer Pettard Campus School that makes admission to the school more equitable. Now based on applying during a uniform time window rather than on or after a child's fourth birthday. The Rutherford County School Board unanimously supported the update in June and the policy will go into effect for the 2022-2023 school year. The new application window allows for all families to apply for a child's admission to campus school through an online application rather than paper between December 1st and January 31st each year. In addition, admission will be selected at random and there'll be no waiting list. It also eliminates the requirement of proof of residency or a child's birth certificate with the application, documents will be required upon admission instead. And chemistry professor Greg Van Patten has been selected to be interim dean for the College of Basic and Applied Sciences at MTSU. Van Patten, 51, spent nine years as chairman of the Department of Chemistry and will now lead the college during the university's national search for a new permanent dean. From a list of nominees, Van Patten was chosen to replace Bud Fisher, who championed the science building that opened in 2014 and will soon become Western Kentucky University's provost. MTSU will begin its national search for a permanent dean this fall. Van Patten said he plans to apply. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Ron, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Well, it's always great to be here uh, with you, Jeanette. I've been looking forward to it. Yes, me too. Let's start out with why you decided to write a novel for the first time. That story has been rolling around in my head for a very long time, uh, going all the way back to graduate school days, actually. So I'm in the late 1960s. I I took a course. uh, It was a summer school course with the famous professor from the Sorbonne, Professor Claude Cahen. And he had just written an article on uh, the Fatimid Caliphate, and he described it as an imperialistic caliphate and uh, a caliphate that hired intelligence agents to um, gather intelligence to facilitate their expansion in one direction or another. And, uh, and in that article, Professor Kayant suggested that an Arab geographer by the name of Ibn Haukal was such an intelligence agent. So that intrigued me. I said, well, I mean, they had spy stories back in the 10th century, so I'm thinking. And then um, not too long after that, I was doing field work. I was, uh, I spent most of the winter in Cairo in 1970, and I was looking at maps at the Société Géographique d'Egypte, was a geographic library that collected maps going all the way back to the ancient Greeks. And there was a map drawn by Ibn Haukal, 
the guy that <laughs> Professor Kaya had described as an intelligence agent. And I'm looking at the map and I said, wow, this is incredible. It looks like the Mediterranean. He's drawing a map of the Mediterranean that actually looks like the Mediterranean in the 10th century. So I asked myself the question, how did he know how to do that? How did he learn to do that? I certainly would not be able to draw a map of Tennessee had I not already seen a map of Tennessee. So a guy is learning how to do this in the 10th century. Why is he doing it? And I made the connection. Maybe these were part of his intelligence reports, these maps that he was having. So, so much for that character. So that, that goes all the way back to the 19, late 60s and, and 1970. The other main character, Gerbert Doriac, who would become Pope Sylvester II, I met, so to speak, in Fez, Morocco in 1985. So I was working in Fez, again, doing library work. And uh, there is a strong oral tradition at the Karawayin University, Mosque University, uh, that Gerbert Doriac, the future Pope Sylvester II, studied here among the Muslims. Another pretty interesting coincidence, isn't it? The future Pope studying in the Muslim world, studying mathematics. And, so, uh, and the, the evidence for that is not nearly as strong as was the case for the map maker. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a tradition that's very strong among the Muslim scholars. And there was actually one English scholar that, that confirmed that in a lecture that I heard, Professor Eman from London, uh, was gave a lecture on Katawayin University and mentioned that the future Pope studied there. So then the next step in the equation is if, uh, if we have these two men, one mapping the land and the other one mapping the sky uh, here in the same university, surely they would have gotten together and compared notes and compared techniques. Well, that's what happens in the novel. And both of them were mapping the soul in a manner of speaking, each in his own way. In his own way, and they discovered that. That was a, that was, that was a process of discovery on each of their part as, they, as they're comparing notes and becoming in, in the process very close friends. Was the real Pope Sylvester II really as understanding of people whose faiths were not like his own, as you indicate in the book? And he's not, he's not uh, provincial or defensive about his Catholicism at all. From what we can gather, and, and we actually have a lot of information about this man. He's written many, many, many letters, all of which have been collected and published. And, and so I certainly see him as, as a very open-minded individual. He was probably even more of a scientist than he was a churchman. And, and I think science, if you're, if you're true to science and, and to do really good science, you have to be open-minded. You have to be willing to change your mind when, when new data come into, into view. And, and he was certainly that kind of individual. Uh, about making maps and uh, the significance of that in this region, in this era, it would, in addition to uh, intelligence gatherers, it would have benefited the traders and the merchants significantly too, right? It would have, as I describe in the book, consulting with traders, merchants, sailors, caravan organizers. Uh, that was a big part of it in Halko's or, or Hakim. I call him Hakim in the, in, in the novel because we don't really know very many details of Ibn Halko's life. I mean, we know where he went because he describes that. We know 
where he was at certain points in time because he also tells us that, but he doesn't really tell us what he was thinking, uh, except every once in a while, you could, you could get a sense of what his interests were and what his prejudices were. If one of them was more prejudiced than the other, it was certainly the Muslim who was more prejudiced, but he got over that. Part of his process was to consult with merchants uh, uh, and, and travelers and he would make tiny little adjustments to his map when he did that. As I describe in, in the book, he, he, he was always taking notes, always adding to his portfolio of little bits of data. And so it took him, you know, the process of drawing a map for him uh, of the Mediterranean was, was well over a 10-year process. We'll take a break right here. We will return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Ron Messier, Professor Emeritus of History and author of The Mapmaker and the Pope, his very first novel. How does Hakim get mixed up in all this spy business? It wasn't what he set out to do. You know, he left uh, the, the town where he lived, you know, which was located in South Central Turkey, modern day Turkey. And he went to Baghdad because that was that was really the probably the most uh, center of learning in, in his day. Uh, it was called the Beit al-Hikmah, the House of Knowledge in, in Baghdad. So he went there and he was studying under a very famous professor who had a handful of students. And it turned out that some of those students that he became friends with were part of a cell, Fatimid intelligence agents. They, they basically indoctrinated him and they seduced him I think by by describing the Fatimids as um, as as the one true caliph, the Fatimid caliph as the one true caliph, interested in equality among all humans, as being very tolerant, and and there's there, there's you know among scholarship today there is some truth, but that's that was the Fatimids' intent. As time went on, they probably lost sight of that, as as many ruling regimes do. Ruling regimes are what, I mean, what are they all about? They're they're about particularly once they get into power, their main goal becomes to stay in power. <laughs> As you probably noticed in the book, uh, gradually, Hakim becomes a supporter of this movement. But then once he's a full fledged supporter, he gradually begins to see beyond what their in original intent was, and he becomes somewhat disenchanted. Uh, with his role as an intelligence agent. By then, he was in too deep. Uh, so, he, uh, you know, he stuck with it for, for a little longer until 
you know, the last, uh, probably the last decade of his life, he wasn't doing intelligence work anymore. He was traveling the world because that's what he loved to do. And he, and he ended up in Cairo, you know, because they, they were starting the, the, the university, uh, Al-Azhar University, which is famous today. It's like, like the Harvard of the Muslim world was the university that Hakim ends up at. You know, one of the aspects of the book you touched on is the competition among the caliphates for territorial control. And while I, I couldn't, to be honest with you, I couldn't really keep up with the various factions of who mm-hmm. believed what and who wanted what, but it reminded me of the continuing confusion in Western non-Muslim minds today about where the lines are drawn or not drawn between Islam and politics. And this book took place around the turn of the first century. So everything old is new again, I guess. I deliberately made it confusing. You know, there are two approaches to doing this. And, you know, when I would give lectures in class, you could either really oversimplify something and that's what it would have to be. So to make those distinctions really clear, you would have to oversimplify it. I didn't want to do that. Hakim was confused about it. I mean, it took him a long time to figure out who was who and which, you know, what, what the different caliphates represented. So the process that I wanted to bring the reader through is the same process that Hakim experienced in trying to sort all of that out. Were the religious differences the reason for the uh, power plays? Or was it, as you said, uh, people in power just want to stay in power and the religious issues were a a sort of pretext as opposed to a foundation? Certainly the latter, because in fact, I think there's a line somewhere in the the book where I say that that, that it's, it's rather seldom that one religion will debate, uh, one religious group, that's Christians, will debate with Muslims, I mean, they debate plenty, uh, but usually not over theology. I mean, there's plenty of debate within a religion over theology, uh, or, but, but debate between one faction, like the Fatimids versus the Abbasids, they didn't debate theology so much either. They debated politics. And yeah, and resources, competition for resources. That's, 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 that's where the competition was. In fact, if you go back to the very first civil war in Islam, now this is not in the story, but, but the origin, you, know, you, you brought up the comparison between Sunni and Shiite today. And the origin of that goes back to the very first civil war in Islam shortly after the death of the prophet Muhammad, which was a dispute over who the, who the re- real caliph would be. And so that was, that was clearly uh, a conflict over who would be in power. That's politics, that's not religion. There are some religious implications, okay? So one can claim that uh, I was chosen by God and the other one could dispute that. Is that political or is that theological? Well, it's basically political with some theological overtones. Hakim studied the Quran intensely, even before he left home. His father hoped that he would be an imam, although that's not where his interests lied. Uh, but yeah, he, 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 he was a devout Muslim. And we gather that about, about Ibn Hawqar, you know, the, the, the real person that, that the story is based on. Again, he was a traveler and a reporter of geographic information, a drawer of maps, 
but he, he, we can gather enough about what he was thinking to, to, to conclude that he was a religious person. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The subject is The Map Maker and the Pope, the first novel by Dr. Ron Messier, Professor Emeritus of History. Would it be too much of a spoiler to explain how Hakim and the Pope get together? Is that too deep in the book to go? Would that be depriving the reader of a certain amount of uh, pleasure? I don't think so. Uh, I joined um, the Murfreesboro Writers Group, uh, which is a group of fiction writers. Usually eight to 12 people would meet every Wednesday night and we would read read our stuff up to, up to um, five pages and, and our colleagues would critique it. And, and they were waiting impatiently for that to happen. I mean, they knew what the title was they, and, I, and, and there were chapters about each of the characters separately. Uh, and and they, they were wondering when they were gonna get together. And you're right, it's pretty late in the story before they actually finally meet. But it, be, it becomes clear pretty early that they're gonna meet at some point. Uh, because they're so much alike, and they're doing so much the same sort of thing, and the title sort of implies that they're going to meet. So yeah, no, it's it's not a big mystery that they're eventually going to meet. So how did they do it? They were both there at the university of the Katawayin. Katawayin. The word Katawayin is a section, a region, a quarter, one of the quarters in downtown Fez. And, uh, and the university, Mosque University, is named after that quarter. Uh, actually, it was created by a group of refugees from the city of Kaidawan, which is why it's called the Kaidawayin Mosque University. So Hakim, Hakim is there. He lived a couple of blocks from the uh, library, and, and he did most of his work at home, but occasionally he would go there just to sort of rub shoulders with some of the, some of the scholars that were there. Gerbert was much younger. So Gerbert is a gener one generation younger than Hakim. Maybe, I don't know how many years, 15 years, 20 years younger, probably. And so uh, Gerbert is there learning trigonometry from one of the scholars and they're there in the reading room and Hakim walks in and he knows a mentor of Gerbert. He doesn't know Gerbert. So the mentor introduces the two and uh, Hakim was kind of snotty, actually, when he first met Gerbert. You know, he, he sort of put him down as this uh, uncivilized, Frankish Christian 
but then when when uh, Gerbert started talking to him in such a sophisticated way for a young guy, ha Hakim's attitude toward him changed quickly and dramatically and said, wow, I mean, this guy has something to offer. In addition to the more intimate moments between people, it, it has also moments of action where Hakim is being chased, among other moments of action. And it's also epic in scope in the moments where there's a great deal of travel in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure whether we're looking at Lawrence of Arabia or we're looking at something else when it comes to envisioning this on film. Is that a possibility? So I've written a screenplay uh, and I just finished it. And, I, and that was so much fun that I, I thought of taking the map maker and the Pope and doing a screenplay about it too. And I actually wrote a couple of scenes and I don't know what the explanation is, Jenna, but it, it turned out that I couldn't make it work. And I think there are just some stories that don't lend themselves too well to the screen. But I think the problem with it is is, is the very fact that these two characters meet so late in the story. You know, I mean, when I was working on my screenplay, I sent it off to professional screenwriters to get feedback. Pretty much the common response on this one issue is that what's at stake in the film has to be clear within the first 25% of the film. And, and that happens too late in the Matt Maker and the Pope story. Somebody else more skillful than I might have been able to do it, but but I couldn't. The only that's, thing I could think of would be that if they if they told the story in flashback, a, a start with after they have already established this relationship and then they're reminiscing or something, and then it cuts to flashback scenes. That's the only it, thing I can think of. It could probably be done, you know, but I, I, I guess I also lost interest in it because I have another idea that that's sort of- okay. It's sort of replacing it. Visually, there, there, there is a lot of visual material in the map maker and the Pope. The scene that I enjoyed writing the most was when Hakim is actually crossing the desert go to, to go to West Africa, to go to Ghana. And that whole process of uh, interrogating the guide of the caravan, how to do that. How, to, how do you know where to go when we're out here in the middle of the desert and there are no landmarks? And Hakim is overwhelmed by the immensity of it, of it all. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty visual scene, I think. And I, I loved doing that. And I was able to do it because I've experienced that. And that's true for all of the other visual settings in The Map Maker and the Pope. Uh, I, I didn't make those up. I described things that I saw. Now, some of them go back to the 10th century, but, but you remember that I, I, my field of study was archaeology, so I do have some idea what they looked like back in the 10th century. Yeah, but uh, your friend June Hall McCash knows it, it, there's a certain art to writing a historical novel. You know, where's the fact and where's the fiction? And only the author can sort that out as he or she writes, right? I, I, absolutely. And fictional truth is truth in a way that historical truth is not. I mean, we, they're both true in different ways. Uh, so when one writes fictional truth, you have to write what is plausible and you cannot write what is demonstrably false. Uh, so if something could be disproved with historical data, I think it, it would not be honest take that and even, even, even as, as, a, as a fictional truth. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of 
things that a historian writing historical truth doesn't really have to think of so much. And the very first part of the story that I wrote was the prologue in the mapmaker Pope, where at the very end of the story, really, so that the Pope is, now that is a big flashback because it starts on the eve of the new millennium and the Pope is having uh, a conversation with his secretary, his personal secretary, who's writing a letter as the Pope is dictating it. And one of the first questions that came to my mind is, where did this take place? In the Vatican, right? Couldn't have. The Vatican didn't exist in the 10th century. I mean, I, I, I spent a good bit of time digging to find out where the Pope might have actually lived in the 10th century. And it turns out that there was a papal palace uh, right next to where the Church of St. John Lateran is in Rome today. That's where the 10th century papal palace was. And once I figured that out, then I could run with it. Some, somebody would, could you know, quite easily call your number on it if you didn't base it on a truth. I mean, the characters don't have to be have been real people. They can be fictional characters, but you have to place them in a world that was real for their time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose, and I've never tried this, and I don't have any intention of ever trying it, I think, to write uh, science fiction. But mm -hmm. science fiction has a similar kind of, kind of restriction, right? You can project things that haven't happened yet, uh, but it still has to sort of be somewhere in the realm of plausibility for, for it to be good science fiction. Rather than looking forward, historical fiction looks backward with the same kind of restriction. It's got to, it's got to be plausible what was actually true at that time. The book is called The Mapmaker and the Pope. It's from Twin Oaks Press. It's the very first fictional book by Dr. Ron Messier, who is a professor emeritus of history. I enjoyed reading it, Ron. I hope you have good success with it. And it's probably one of the more interesting deep dives into a culture other than my own that uh, I've ever had. More interesting than a textbook, certainly. Well, good, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was certainly a blast to write. I mean, I, I mean, your first question is why did I decide to write it? Well, I, of course, I, I, I wrote it well after retirement, right? I was at a point in my life where I said, if I'm going to write anything, it's got, it has to be really fun. And writing this book was really fun. I hope, I hope the readers are finding it fun. And, and, you know, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Thanks for being our guest and talking about it on MTSU on the record. Okay, it's always fun. Thanks. And I'll look forward to you coming back sometime soon, maybe. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. 
Chelsea Abel, Coordinator for International Student and Scholar Services in the MTSU Office of International Affairs, helped those foreign students navigate the challenges of the pandemic, which shut down or greatly restricted travel for months last year. Here, she shares how her office is gearing up for a more normal academic year this fall. Some of them are led by our international student ambassadors. So they lead one, which is called a, a cultural presentation. So they talk about their home country, different traditions back at home, different festivities, uh, different holidays, things like that, just to really show the diversity of our campus. Um, we've also had international movie nights um, where they can send in like their favorite movies from back home, um, really just have that time to relax. And then we'll also do things like game nights, um, really just different events to keep them interested and mm -hmm. on campus. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.